Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. If you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but you think you can't, it is almost certain you won't. If you think you'll lose, you are lost, for out of the world we find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. Hello and welcome to Cop On, you curvaceous butternut. My name's Owen and those opening lines were from a poem called Thinking by Walter D. Wintle. I wonder what Pep is thinking right now. Surely he must be a little worried, wouldn't you say, having witnessed Jurgen Klopp's relentless Reds, a rescue victory from the jaws of defeat, thanks to not one but two late goals, thanks to those left-sided wizards, Andy Robbo Robertson and Sadio the main man Manny. Here to fillet the flesh of our victory away to Aston Villa, as well as look forward to Genk, not Ghent, please be aware, and the City match, of course, next weekend. Uh, I'm delighted to be speaking to Shane in Los Angeles, USA, and Karan in Hyderabad, India. Enjoy! Liverpool somehow have managed to get three points and we now haven't lost in 14 away games in the Premier League. We've won 10, we've drawn four and I don't know about you but I have no idea what I actually did when Mane scored. Um, So I asked my girlfriend and apparently I ended up doing some kind of weird moves. Apparently I was sort of shuffling around my apartment with knees bent and both arms outstretched in front of my body doing some kind of weird shuffle. And then I started voguing. I started voguing like in the Madonna video and I, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I don't have much recollection. I remember the ball hitting the net and the way that that, you know, that, that header sort of, it, took, it seemed to take an age before it went into the corner. And I was like, no, it can't be. We can't have scored again. This is unbelievable. And we did score again. We did score again. Shane, tell us about, you know, what, you know, what were you doing at the, the final whistle? What was going on for you? My goodness, I have had an interesting, interesting experience with this game. Uh, hi, Owen. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me on another episode of Cop On. This episode, so unfortunately, due to my uh, <laughs> due to my lack of uh, what what would be the exact word, I guess just attention to detail when it comes to where I need to be at what time in my life, and I actually left my house as soon as we made the subs when we put on Divock and we put on uh, the uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, I had to leave, I, at the time I thought I needed to leave the house, so I switched over to the LFC audio commentary, which if no one has listened to, is absolutely superb and spectacular and will absolutely add to any drama that you might be experiencing at the time. Because And so from there on, I was listening at, at, as if it was one nothing, and then I would kept hearing the city score, and it just kept ratcheting up, and I was, it, I don't know, it seemed dismal. It seemed like so dark and dank from, like, from us ever pulling out these three points. But on the freeway, on the freeway, I was stuck on the terrible one-on-one freeway, bumper-to-bumper traffic and directly in front of me, which normally I would think is very obnoxious, but there was a bumper sticker that said, always believe. I think it was an advertisement for a, a Disney experience or something like that, but that was what I held on to while I listened to the goals. I actually haven't even seen the goals back yet. All I've heard is from what the commentators have said about it, that Andy had a really thumping header from you, that Mane's header was glancing. And if my laptop would have started up sooner, I could have seen these great goals. But I just, ah, I just can't believe it. I'm just rambling on at this point. But the game was just absolutely, it was so frustrating. I just... I just can't believe we got that result in the way that we did. I mean, at this point, I'm having a bi-weekly heart attack with this team. But my goodness, this team. (laughs) 
great answer. A bi-weekly heart attack, absolutely. Uh, they don't know how to do it the easy way, do they, Karen? Uh, where were you watching it? Describe your feelings as that last goal went in. Oh my God, I couldn't believe it. We snatched a victory out of, out of a possible draw. Um, it was... It was me and my brother watching in the living room, and while my parents and others were discussing something serious in uh, in the bedroom. And um, if you've if you've noticed the celebration that after Mane scored the winner, um, Pep, Linders, and uh, Klopp were like hugging each other, and um, uh, Klopp sort of carried uh, Pep on his hips, and it was like you know such a precious moment. It was almost like that at home, except I was on top of my brother, and it, he was uh, finding it hard to breathe because you know he couldn't handle my weight. So um, <laughs> it was it was amazing. I mean, after we scored the equalizer, I was like, I, I kept saying this in my head that our identity is intensity, and I was thinking about Pep Linder's press conference uh, before the Arsenal game. I mean, that was such a moving press conference. You get so inspirational and motivational, um, motivated listening to that. And I was just thinking about it. I, I was thinking about those, those, you know, strong words. And I was trying to relate it to, to today's game. Um, except there are different players compared to the, the previous game. But, I mean, wow, what a game. We never do it easy. But we do it the LFC way. Intensity. <laughs> Absolutely intensity. I, I I hope your brother's okay now. Um, you know you didn't just uh, you know crush him too badly. Uh, but that's a, that's an excellent reaction to just I don't know sit on your brother. Brilliant, entirely justifiable. Um, and I, but I want to talk about uh, you know Sadio Mane a bit more because during this match. Um, I mean, I'm sure Shane, you watched, uh, you know, uh, most of it until the, the the first substitution. So that was on the 64th minute, and you know, in those 64 minutes, nothing was quite going right, was it? We were making a lot of the play. We had, we ended up with 25 shots in that match. I think we deserved to win, but Sadio Mane, he was being whacked and pushed and kicked. He actually got booked for being kicked in the box where we've seen penalties given for less. Uh, and, uh, you know, he still had the resolve and the guts and the strength to keep on going. And it was a marvellous performance. I, I just said in my Blood Red uh, podcast review that I think we should just make him the king of everything. We should dissolve all the borders in all the world and make him the king of it all. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm actually picking out my Sadio Mane tattoo on where it's going to be on my body right now. He is, he is such a, he is such, uh, I don't want to use a cliche for a game changer, but that's what he is. He's the, he's the big man in the big moment and he can create such goals that can come out of nothing with the he and these glancing headers he does it all the time i don't know anyone else on our team that can score more headers than sadio mane and i completely agree with you um up until the 64th minute in those subs that i was watching yeah the game was absolutely uh infuriating i mean in the second half alone we had 72 72 percent possession to their 28 we had 20 of those shots you mentioned 25 shots 20 of those came in the second half alone Five on target, seven off target, eight blocked. These uh, stats are coming from SofaScore.com, by the way. But yes, I just could not believe the, the match had turned that the way it had. And, and and I don't like to bring up refereeing a lot, but my goodness, yeah, uh, Sadio Mane got a yellow card for being kicked. But not only that, I don't know where you guys stand on this VAR decisions, but I completely disagree with them. I mean. If you're going to have the Ashton Villa goal stand, if that is not offsides, then I don't know how in the heck Bobby Firmino's goal, his equalizer, how you can take that back. I just, it, it, it's so infuriating. I, I just couldn't make sense of the VAR decisions there. It just seemed like we weren't getting any calls going our way. But my goodness, do we never give up. Well, interestingly, the Premier League uh, official Twitter account have put, and this is not a joke, this is not The Onion, uh, they have actually put that Bobby Firmino's armpit was offside uh, in that moment. And uh, I, I, I find that pretty 
funny now that we've won the match, but had we not won the match, it would have, you know, I don't know, I'd probably be, just be vomiting into the toilet uh, at that tweet as we speak, wouldn't be able to, you know, do this podcast. Um, but yeah, VAR was, uh, you know, I mean, it was, there were a couple of things. There was also a handball that we could have had that we didn't. And the referee, I mean, you know, I was speaking to a football professional uh, about uh, English referees and uh, he didn't know his name Jonathan Moss he just said I don't like that fat one well he didn't use exactly the word the fat one but you know he didn't like the large referee the one who can't move and he meant Jonathan Ross uh, Jonathan Moss excuse me because um, he's I mean he's a bit of a comedian isn't he in terms of uh, being a, you know one of these uh, select bands of elite referees that the Premier League call that call themselves because uh, yes it was a joke but I don't want I didn't want to spend too much time on that because we could talk about that for ages what I'd rather focus on Karen is the positives of this and one of the big ones is Manchester City how they are feeling now because on 85 minutes um, I don't know what commentary you had on your where you were watching it but uh, you know uh, the, there was the, the the news came through that Kyle Walker had scored for Manchester City they turned it around to 2-1 we were losing 1-0 at that moment and and I was thinking I'm sure Pep was thinking and City fans were thinking you know uh, that's the gap reduced to three points and then next week Man City could overtake Liverpool at the top of the Premier League but now it's six points and Manchester City this result has got to heap the pressure on them on Pep on everything what do you how do you think City uh, will be feeling now Karen well it wasn't easy for both our teams to you know win comfortably um, in this game week both of our teams struggled to, you know, snatch a victory. But I think um, at that point when City were winning and we were one behind, I was thinking, okay, we can handle the loss. Um, we can win against City next weekend and, you know, uh, keep that lead going on. It will be three points. So I'll take that. And at the reverse fixture, when we... Uh, when we play them at Etihad, I think we can uh, take another three points. So these six points will be crucial if we have, if we are to stay ahead of them at the top of the league. So I was thinking about those, these two games, rather than um, what's going to happen if we're going to, uh, you know, what what will happen if we if the gap closes and you know the reaction, blah blah blah. But I was actually also thinking about Leicester because if if City had lost this game, then Leicester would find pressure on them, you know, for, for the second spot. And I was thinking about a lot of things. But then that magical moment came when, when, when Robertson scored, and that was a thundering head. I mean, what a goal. Um, fantastic ball from Mane. And, uh, well, another header from Mane to snatch the victory. And I was like, you know what? All those thoughts can just go away. We are six points clear again. Will be nine clear if we if we win in the next weekend, and we can also win against Etihad, uh, against City at the Etihad, and it will be twelve points. So uh, that's great, and we shouldn't lose those twelve points because if something we have to learn this season from the last is when we had a huge points gap, uh, we had few unfairly bad results, and those that gap came closer and closer until finally City won with one point. So if some, if we have to learn something this season, is to make sure that we have that gap throughout the season. Um, we won't be running away uh, to win the league this season, but if we have to win, we have to be lucky in games like this. We have to keep our, uh, we have to keep the lead going, whether it be six points or seven, eight, four, it's, it's okay. As long as we have the lead and uh, we pile pressure on them that we are winning every game. We're not going to drop points. So if you want to win, win the league, you have to be better than us. Well, yeah, but Karen, surely you know we'll drop points somewhere along the way. You know, somewhere where where it isn't expected, like like City have already done uh, with Norwich. I mean, surely we'll we'll drop some more points, won't won't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not denying that, but um, we have to. 
you know, we have to play our absolute best game week and uh, week out. And it's not going to be easy. So even if we do drop some points, uh, like we did against United, we need to be brave enough to, you know, fight back in the next game and get three more points rather than dropping more points. So um, if you recollect all our draws last season, um, I'm just, what I wanted to say is that what we can learn from last season compared uh, to, the, to this season is that when we were dropping points um, in certain games where we could have won easily or perhaps late, we can, we can manage to you know, win the points uh, before rather than you know, winning late or something like that. We need to make sure that we don't drop points. And if we do in certain game week, we need to bounce back the next week and maintain that lead, maintain that pressure. Because um, the those results were unfair to us. We could have won some of those games. And if we had, we would have walked away with the lead. But that didn't happen. So just to avoid that, we need to make sure that even if we do, we need to take it bravely and you know come back stronger next week. Yeah, well, it's fair enough. It's a very, very good answer. Very nice, nicely reasoned uh, opinion there. Um, Shane, where, where do, what do you think about this? You know, about Manchester City and how they'll be be feeling and where this result leaves us now. Well, I don't think anything. I don't think any of this is good for Pep Guardiola's hairline. I, I <laughs> bet you that his, that he can keep. The stress, the cortisol levels that man must be experiencing must be absolutely through the roof. I mean, what else does he need? He has all the money in the world. He has all the talent in the world. I mean, what else does he need to to beat Liverpool? And I, I, I think we just have that intangible extra thing about us. But in terms of Manchester City, yeah, I mean, you kind of... We were kind of in a topsy-turvy, upside-down world whenever it was halftime and Southampton were winning one nothing, um, and then uh, Ashton Villa were winning one nothing, and it just seemed like, hmm, may- maybe Liverpool and City will both drop all the points. But sure enough, you kind of always felt like City were going to be able to to pull at least two back, and, and that they did. But, oh my goodness. Yeah, I just, I want to say... I want to say they're not feeling good. They're not feeling great about it. They know they there's they know there's nothing they can really do to stop us in terms of, well, let's let me let me rephrase that. How did Ashton Villa do such a good job of just stopping our attacks? Was it was it the fact that maybe we weren't exactly clinical in the final third? Did we waste opportunities? Did we just not have some finishing touch about us? Did did we put on our shoes the wrong way? Did we tie our laces? Incorrectly, because looking here at the stats according to uh, SofaScore.com, I mean, we had 631 passes to their 227. We had 530 of those were accurate. We had 29 uh, long balls out of 58 with a 50% uh, accuracy rating. We, we won 54 duels. We won 22 aerials. I mean, it seemed like we completely dominated that match. But how did they prevent us from getting the, to the back of the net on such a frequent occurrence? Well, it's a very interesting question, but for me, I think it was—it's ju- just very simple. We—we we, we didn't have our shooting boots on, as the cliche goes. I mean, you know, we—we—we we, we things over the bar. There was a lack of composure in front of goal. Sometimes there was some excellent, uh, there was some excellent play, like there was a brilliant save Tom Heaton did at the back post from a Mane header. And uh, you know, it's a brilliant question, but I just think it's just a just a lack of composure, really. I mean, they. They defended, you know, reasonably well. Um, I thought Tyron Mings had a good game. Uh, they did well to keep uh, Bobby Firmino fairly quiet. But I just think it was an off day. Uh, would you agree with that, Karen? Yeah, just to add what well, what you pointed out, um, I think that goal was fairly disallowed. Um, well, instead of measuring Firmino's armpit, why can't you measure his, his wrist? Because I think his wrist was in line with with uh, with Ming's knees, so I think that should be the the point where you check for offside, isn't it? But I think apparently they were checking for his armpit. I don't know why. Um, but just to add to why we didn't, um, why we were not at our best today was we were not clinical in our final third. If if you if you want to be clinical in the final third, you, uh, it's important to have possession in 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 that area. 
it, it's not just about going forward, attacking, putting crosses, and you know, scoring goals. It, it's also important to maintain possession over there, to control the game, to dominate the flow. And despite having 47 touches in the opposition box throughout the game, and uh, we had about 17, I think, yes, 17 in the first half compared to 7 to them. And finally, they had 13 touches compared to 47. So I think their game plan was, we might not have a lot of chances tonight. Um, all we have to do is sit back, click on the counter, and just be as effective as we can be. And I think the, the goal, as far as I've seen, that all the other players were offside, except the player who scored. Um, he was, he was, I think he was right onside, or maybe I haven't seen it correctly, but I think that was, uh, that, that is debatable, whether it should have been ruled out or whether it should have stood. Um, and also, um, Sadio Mane, there was definitely some contact on his, uh, on his, on his ankle, but did he fall down too soon? Or was there enough contact to, you know, actually, uh, you know, trip him down? So that's another uh, debate. But as far as I know that despite having 25 attempts, 6 on target, and with, uh, you know, 75% possession, I think we should have, we should have been more clinical. Well, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. That's that's what I'm saying. But uh, you know, but just just I don't know. It's still sinking in that we managed to win. Um, it's a, it's an absolutely incredible result, and a person who played a big part in it, as you know, as well as Sadio Mane, was Andy Robertson, who was up and down uh, his line all day, didn't give up, and also Trent, who didn't give up, and Trent Alexander-Arnold was making his hundredth appearance for the club, and I thought he was super. It was an absolutely super performance by him. Um, what can you say about Trent, uh, Karen? Yeah, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but the, another reason that I forgot to mention is that in the first half, they didn't provide us the width. I think they, they, they set up the team in such a way that, you know, we were finding it hard to, um, you know, create width for us because in, in our 2 3 5 attacking system, width from the full-backs is the key. So uh, we were not successfully doing that, but then... As the game went on in the second half, I, I saw glimpses of, you know, making those, those, uh, the width. And uh, I could see totally when we made those changes, um, bringing Oxlade and Origi, because these players can create width for us. And I did exactly that. And that led to both goals, even though it was late. It, it should have come earlier, but uh, I'm just glad we, we scored. And speaking about trend, I think it's, He's absolutely amazing. He's the fourth youngest player to reach 100 appearances for the Reds. And I think it sets a good example for the Academy players who featured in the Carabao Cup last week, in, in the weekend, uh, sorry, in midweek, um, that, you know, if you show the determination and skill to play for the first team, Klopp is definitely going to select you and he's going to give you a chance. So uh, he, said he not only sets the example for these young Academy players, but all the right backs in the world that, you know, you can be the best, like I am. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, he is, he, yeah, he, he's, he dominated his his right-hand side, Trent. He had three key passes in the match, uh, 64 passes in total, 79.7% pass accuracy. He had 20 crosses which is amazing, in 90 minutes. And he was just a danger. And, you know, those those crosses were pretty well defended. But he was, you know, he, <clears throat> I don't know, his touch was really good. Um, there was one moment where he slipped, which uh, almost let Villa in for a goal. But that would have been really harsh on him because he was, he was absolutely superb. Andy Robertson had uh, one shot or one header, you could say, and one on target and one goal. Uh, absolutely clinical from him. But defensively, he made a couple of tackles. Um, uh, no interceptions by Robertson, but four clearances. Whereas Trent had three tackles, three interceptions and two clearances. Um, it's a joy to watch our fullbacks. We talk about them a lot, but we can just keep talking about them, can't we, Shane? Because they're... They're beautiful to watch and so important. 
Completely correct. They absolutely can keep us in a game. They can change the match for us whenever the the minutes are dying off like we saw today. Um, you listed a bunch of great stats there. And, uh, yeah, I there's just, I mean, also noticing that Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, he had, I believe he had three shots total. and uh, But, yeah, he was, I, I just, even when our front three are not coming together as fluid or as fluent as that we would like them to as we're used to seeing, uh, when Mo Salah is having kind of an iffy day whenever he only has four shots, one of which is on target, where he's dispossessed or he has, uh, I believe it says, uh, UNS touches, which is a statistic listed for bad control. He's listed to have three of those. So even when statistically and on the pitch visually, Muhammad Salah or Bobby are not exactly putting away those chances that we can create, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andrew Robertson can really, really change the game for us. They really, I, it just feels so dangerous anytime they get the ball. I mean, there was a couple times I saw Trent get it and take it past three people as he makes that diagonal run in towards the box. It's, they're just so exciting. They're so electric. There's nobody else that really plays exactly like them as well as they do. Um, yeah, I could just go on forever. Do we have a Trent song yet as, uh, as fans? Do we have a Trent song? There's there's one uh, the scouser the scouser in the team I believe it's called but yes um, I'll have to learn the lyrics because unfortunately you know we don't get to go to the matches do we but uh, we'll have to learn or maybe we'll you know I'll just write another one and sing that one and you know write ballads because this is what you know this is what the where the troubadours came from the idea of the you know twelfth century French romantics. Um, you know, uh, travelling around, singing love songs. I think I might do that after this season if we do win the league. I'll just travel around with my guitar, singing love songs about the the mighty, mighty Reds. One little thing, though, that I wanted to bring up is the fact that now um, we haven't kept a clean sheet since beating Sheffield United away 1-0 with that famous deflected goal on the 28th of September. So that's more than a month and seven matches since then that we haven't kept a clean sheet. Is there anything to worry about, Karen? Um, yes, I think I would like to point um, two things that you know kind of worries me. Um, uh, also, before, before I speak about it, I just wanted to mention that in this first game, Trent created seven big chances, and I think this season he's more effective than Robertson. Um, so I think um, I expected more of that uh, from him this game. But yeah, um, speaking about uh, the clean sheets, two things worry me. One is uh, how, when we have a high line against a set piece, like like the goal they scored today, um, there are some players I, I I don't know whom to pick out, but they just switch off at the end moment, and you know the the opposition have a really good chance to score, um, and that piles a lot of pressure on Allison to save them. Um, that is one thing. Second is that if you if you recollect uh, the Salzburg game, uh, Van Dijk switched off on two of those occasions, and we considered two goals. So I think it's when one of our defenders switch off, uh, it's when you know they they attack that area and it's it's being effective this season because this season neither us nor city are defending like they used to last season so uh, this is something that we can we can work on it and also another thing is like we've mentioned this several times that when one of the full bags or both of them get caught high up the pitch uh, you know they are attacking that area between the full back and uh, the, the center back and that was evident in the Sheffield United game that uh, they did that a lot uh, in that particular game. So these two, three things worry me. And if we can work on that, uh, we can find a way to provide some cover or provide a way that we can avoid those attacks. Then I think uh, we should be good going forward. Yeah, it's interesting. What's a, what's your take on it, Shane? What's What's been our problem in defence? I'm so happy you asked me this question. This is something that I was kind of thinking about today, uh, kind of in detail a lot. I'm a little worried that we might have an arrogance problem going through our def uh, going through our defense and the way that we organize and we shape ourselves. There's there's a big drop off in terms of the number of clean sheets, as you mentioned. 
compared to last year at this point in time in the season. Um, there was something. Uh, there's something very hard. There was something very galvanizing about our performances defensively last year. And this year, I'm just not seeing it all. I agree with Karen that there are some moments where it seems like we switch off, but I'm starting to think that maybe we have a little bit of a pride problem when it comes to dealing with, uh, when it comes to dealing with opposition in our third and how comfortably we can kind of snuff out attacks. Also, I, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm being too negative, but uh, I am a little bit worried about Allison. He has not had a clean sheet since he's come back. Uh, honestly, Adrian was. It seemed like he was uh, more self-assured as a goalie keeper than Allison seems to be right now. And there are a couple of goals, kind of, in, kind of including the one today, where I thought, man, I think Allison could have made a save on that one. Um, so yeah, I think defensively, I'm very worried, and I think it's kind of our Achilles' heel right now between Allison making sure that he gets his his gloves and his head on straight uh, until he feels fully comfortable and fully back in the rhythm. And, you know, you can't really fault him too much when he's out for like two months, you know, and he's coming back in and rhythm was disturbed and everything else. But um, I I don't know. I would like to see uh, – I'd like to see uh, Van Dyke. I, Van Dyke steps up. I, 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 I'm almost kicking myself saying that I want Van Dyke to stand up in some of the situations. But I see this miscommunication happen between our midfielders and our defensive line, and I see balls that go through, I see players getting in way of players, and it seems like we commit a high number of individual errors, and they can steal the ball from us and then make something happen in our third. And that's happening with teams, not just Ashton Villa, but that's happening with teams across the board. So yeah, I am a little bit worried. Yeah, yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, um, I Yeah, I'm not sure where, where I stand on it. I mean, it's interesting, you mentioned an arrogance problem. There is something you know maybe slightly that you know and karen mentioned before switching off there is maybe they're maybe they're linked somehow but you know you're right also to say that uh, you know we're not being too negative i mean we are you know top of the league and stuff but there that we have been giving away chances um after just a few minutes today um aston villa had a had a corner and um, Hendo and Trent were at the, at the back post and they weren't, neither of them were really watching and uh, Villa had uh, two men at the back post who were unmarked and uh, luckily the ball didn't quite, you know, land for either of the Villa players and, and it went out, I think, for a goal kick. But, you know, a better pass then and, and that would have been 1-0 to Villa. And just a few minutes after, when uh, the free kick was being taken, I noticed that Henderson was marking two people at the back post, uh, just him. And... Uh, I was, you know, shouting at the screens, going, you know, be careful, be careful, because there were lots of people at the front post, but Hendo alone at the back post, and that's why the the uh, that's why Trezeguet was able to ghost in, and uh, you know, just on side, but to, nevertheless to ghost in. I wouldn't necessarily blame Allison for that. I don't think, you know, when you're that close and he made a good connection with the ball, I don't think you can really blame the keeper. And Allison did. A good thing early, uh, sorry, a bit later in the match as well when he came out and he spread himself when uh, their number 17, Houlihan, I think his name is, and Allison spread himself really well and he forced him into making a pass and then Virgil could clear it. Like they're still really good, <laughs> really good. But yes, I'm, I'm inclined to agree that we, we, we're sort of switching off a bit and it's... Uh, you know, maybe a little bit of overconfidence and miscommunication. So, you know, footballing perfection, you know, you could talk about 11-0, Liverpool's biggest ever win. Um, and that was very close to footballing perfection. But even then, it, does it really exist? Has it ever existed, footballing perfection? And that's what we should strive for. So, yes... The defence can possibly do a little bit better. But again, staying with the positives, Andy Robertson was very good. Trent was very good. Um, our midfields that we're talking about, uh, you know, every week today, uh, he went for Lalana, Henderson and Vinealdum to start with. Uh, what did you make of them, Karen, that, that midfield? How did they do today? And then... You know when Ox came on later. Um, I think it was an interesting lineup uh, in the midfield to start the game. 
Um, I was excited to see who who will play in the number six role. Will it be Lalana or Henderson? But I think he uh, Lalana did well. Um, he was not swamped like he was against Arsenal in midweek, but he did. He he had a slow start, but then he really picked it up. Um, and he started to you know push the game forward. Um, you know, trying to influence the game from from that role. Um, and Henderson, I think he had some very bad touches, and he he put the team in danger in in that situation where you mentioned that uh, Allison had to rush to you know uh, scrap the ball again back towards him, and uh, Van Dyke to make that clearance. Otherwise, uh, Hurahan would be through on goal with an open goal basically. So um, yeah, I think some of the moments from Henderson were nervous. His crosses weren't uh, really effective, but they can be better. But he just he just needs to you know lock them a bit higher, um, in my opinion, and you know a bit further. So um, that was okay. Um, and the I think I, I expected Oxlade Chamberlain to start because he's been impressive since his return, um, and even in midweek I think he was very very influential. So I really thought that he should start the game um, rather than Wijnaldum. But I was happy with him as well. I mean, for most of the parts, I think I couldn't really figure out what exactly is he uh, trying to, you know, uh, affect the game. But I think the midfield was, uh, that was a very tricky part. Um, it was nervous. Uh, it was a nervous game from them. But I think after the substitution, that's when I really saw the effectiveness from midfield. So I think I think Klopp should really give uh, Chamberlain a start ahead of uh, Lalana or maybe Henderson in the next game. I think against Cheng we should we should go for Fabinho, Oxlade and probably Wanalem. Or you know you can even start Keita for that for, in that sense. Because um, I think against City he's gonna start uh, Fabinho, Henderson and Wanalem like we always do. Um, so maybe he can rotate these two midfielders and give others a chance. But the overall performance from midfield was, I think, I, I should say a bit higher than average, but not great. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? it, it um, I'm just looking at some stats here. Adam Lalana had five tackles, one interception and one clearance. So a lot of tackles there. Um, uh, Henderson had two tackles, three interceptions and two clearances. And Jorginho Vinaldum had one tackle, one interception and no clearances. Uh, in terms of distribution as well, uh, Jeannie Vinaldum had uh, 44 passes with a 91% passing accuracy. Henderson had 95 passes with 82.1% passing accuracy. And Adam Lalana, 86 passes with an 88.4% passing accuracy. So, statistically, they, they did all right, didn't they, Shane? Uh, yes, uh, I, I was going to bring up those exact stats. Yeah, there were, there were times when it, it seemed like they... Like the struggles weren't there with the passing. They were able to move the ball. They were able to move, push it upfield. But it was just in terms of it seemed retaining position seemed to be the struggle today in the midfield. And that's usually not the case with Jordan Henderson and Jeannie Vineldum. And yes, we did have 75% uh, of the total uh, possession in the game. But it just seems like they could they could disrupt those. I know people seem to be upset about Adam Lallana in the sixth position. I would have I would have been interested to see how he would have done the number eight position going up the wing on Trent's side with Jordan Henderson maybe filling the role of the holding sixth position. Um, but I I don't know if uh, you know they they obviously Klopp and everyone else runs that. And I know Jordan Henderson was in the sixth position for the majority of you know eighteen months prior, and he's doing so much better in the number eight position. But I'm, I'm wondering if they uh, could have had a tactical switch there and if it would have maybe unlocked the door for us, uh, so to speak. Um, let's see. What other stats did I want to bring up? Yeah, I just thought 
uh, what, what let me let me rephrase it to a question how did what did you think of Alex Oxlade Chamberlain's contribution into the midfield as soon as he came on, or I guess he came on from Mo Salah at the sixty fourth minute? Do you think he was able to change things up for us? Uh yeah, uh, Chamberlain. Um, he had that moment. You know, just after he came on, he had about twenty five shots that kept rebounding out to him, and he kept whacking it on target. <laughs> I thought that was really good. And uh, yeah, I mean, positive. Um, again, you know, he's on the front foot. He takes people on. He he dribbles. Um, defensively is the only thing. I mean, in terms of discipline, tactical positioning. But I think that's uh, something that, uh, you know, he's getting better and better at. I mean, that's just my opinion. I don't know if I've got, uh, you know, anything to particularly back it up. But I thought, yeah, Chamberlain, I mean, he looks very exciting. And I think... You know, he's going to be probably England's best midfielder come the end of the season because, you know, you know, fingers crossed he stays fit. He's got all the talent in the world, his close control, but this determination that he shows, uh, he seems like such a good uh, teammate. Um, he's not overly selfish, but he's dangerous, you know. Three goals in, in the last two matches as well. Um, I thought it was, yeah, another positive display and he made an impact off the bench. Uh, he could have scored again. Um, what do you think, Karen? Absolutely. I completely agree with you. Um, like I've said before, he's been absolutely incredible since he's back. Um, and he just turned around the game completely. Um, as soon as him and Origi were brought on, we switched to a rather 4-2-3-1 slash 4-1-4-1 formation. So we bombarded our forward players when they were just sit uh, they were just sitting back and happy to break on the counter so i think that really worked because um it, it went, before before that uh, they were they looked very comfortable sitting back and defend but then as soon as we brought those changes it became a little bit difficult for them to you know um sort of mark the players and you know uh, make uh, you know play their usual game like they've been playing at that that uh, until that, uh, the substitutions were brought on, um, and if you uh, if you just notice that um, in in the final moments of the game, when when Man is scored during that set piece, usually in those moments, it's it, it, it's mostly the keeper's call how he wants his players to mark the opposition players, and that turned out to be completely wrong because Mane had a lot of space to um, uh, you know to head the ball. But that was just absolutely incredible. I mean, he's he's facing the ball, and and the goal is behind him. So he he had to be very accurate for that for that header to go in, and he did exactly that. His movement was so smart that he just brought the players out from the position, and and he just had to head it home, and that's what he did. There are so many moments that um, you know you can pick out from even Oxford Chamberlain is that um, he was he's bringing the players out from their net from their you know, natural position and dribbling past them, uh, pick out the players in, in the far side, creating width for, for fullbacks and also getting some fantastic shots uh, in the box, one of which is debatable for a handball, but um, I don't know. In, in some cases it will be given, in some cases it won't, but that's okay. But he was really influential and when Keita was uh, brought on late into the the game, I think that was something that I could find stability in the midfield, even though I was very happy to see Lallana, um, you know, getting those tackles and interceptions in and uh, holding the midfield, whereas the other two players were struggling a little bit. Even though I was happy with Henderson in some moments, um, I wasn't quite sure about Van Allen. It was not one of his best games, but Chamberlain, I think he was just the game changer, if I had to say. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 brilliant to see him back, isn't it? It's brilliant. Well, um, just before we move on, I do want to talk about other things. Um, it's just happy joy, joy time uh, with Liverpool at the moment. But uh, if you have to pick a man of the, man of the match, it's got to be either Mane or Trent, hasn't it? Um, Shane, even though you missed the last uh, or you're listening to to the radio for the last part of the match. Who would you say was your your best player today? 
Oh, yes. So just based on listening and, and then within the context of the game, yeah, I would love to give my man of the match to Sadio Mane. I know according to uh, whoscored.com, I believe they gave the man of the match to Trent Alexander-Arnold, but uh, I might be mistaken about that. But I would have to say you have to give it to Mane for, for coming out with a little bit of magic when we absolutely needed it. I mean, he's always there. He's always going forward, and he, it, he, seems, to, he seems to not let... How do I exactly phrase this? If a chance for him goes awry, it seems like we're way more upset about it than he ever is. You know, if he skies one over the bar, it doesn't feel like it means a single thing to him. For us, we're, we're always writhing in agony whenever he puts one wide. But it seems like he just forgets about it, wipes it from his mental state, uh, his mental slate and goes into a, a, a fresh mode of hypnosis before he gets control of the ball again. And so, yeah, I'd have to say he gets he gets my man of the match. Solid answer. What about you, Karen? Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Um, my top three players are Mane, Trent, and Milana. Mane deserves man of the match award, even though Trent uh, got it in in the in whoscore.com, as he's just mentioned. So. Um, also, another thing that even Lovren could be a contender if Wesley didn't give him a headache because uh, I think he was targeting that the the gap between Lovren and Van Dijk, and if Lovren had managed to you know just you know be solid throughout the game and you know give him such a headache that you know what should I do, how should I you know uh, move to you know score goals etc etc. I think even Lovren would be a contender. But unfortunately, he isn't, and it's Mane, Trent, and Lalana for me. Yeah, there were times when Lovren looked looked a bit shaky, but I loved the way that he, you know, like the rest of the team, just carried on, got on with it, refused to lie down and, you know, get up and try again if it didn't quite go his way. Lovely attitude from, from Dayan there. Absolutely superb. Uh, right, well, just uh, I want to move on into, you know, more general overview uh, of the season type thing. I mean, obviously, we're now at top of the league. We're going into a Champions League match, but we just played... Uh, the Carabao Cup, which um, my girlfriend uh, incorrectly called the Koala League because she couldn't remember the real title, but I think that's even better. We'll call it the Koala League because it was 5-5 against Arsenal. Uh, cometh the hour, cometh the div in the last minute. You know, we didn't even want to play with this fixture schedule. Uh, we had Keita, Lalana, Oxlade Chamberlain midfield, Curtis Jones coming off the bench. Uh, and uh, you know, playing brilliantly before stroking home the winning penalty. That was crazy, wasn't it? That was a that was nuttier than peanut butter, wasn't it, Shane? My goodness, yeah. I am still. I was still recovering from that match before today's match, and and here it is again. Like I said earlier, the bi-weekly heart attack. It doesn't matter what lineup. Klopp puts out, this team just never knows when they're beaten. They just never know when to give up. And and thank God, I love them for it. It was it, it ended up turning out to be the one of the most entertaining games of the season so far. Just when you think you're about to watch this kind of uh, a dreary old, you know, EFL match that's going to be frustrating and all this other stuff. It's lo and behold, it's a goal fest. And I, I would say, you know, it, it left a lot to be desired from uh, some goalkeeping. But my goodness, the strikes. I couldn't... It almost made no sense the ridiculous strikes we were getting to put in from Alex Oxley-Chamberlain, from Divock, and then Willock was able to score an absolute screamer over Kelleher. And my goodness, just for it to come down to Curtis, jo uh, Curtis Jones, you know, the Scouser, the local lad, just to, to, for it to all be on his shoulders. And I was so... I, Something that just adds a little notch to the story is when Klopp was talking about in his post-match press conference how whenever he sets the uh, the penalty lineup that they had Divock going last, but they had actually 
I guess without asking Klopp, switch the order because Curtis Jones wanted that responsibility on his shoulders. And man, did he put it away. I I don't know if I've ever seen a better penalty shootout from Liverpool. Um, also, an interesting stat that came out of the, uh, the shootout, something that kind of blew my mind. This is according to uh, thisisandfield.com. Uh, Adam Alana has been a part of, I believe, seven total uh, Liverpool penalty shootouts, and he has scored in six of them consecutively, which gives him like an all-time record, if I'm not mistaken. And they, uh, because Liverpool, in their total amount of history, their total history starting from nineteen, from 1892, have only been involved in 16 total competitive penalty shootouts, and <laughs> seven of them belong to Adam Lallana. So I just thought that was just a funny stat to come out of it. But it was just, it's just a weird stat that comes out of a weird game and it's like if you step on a banana peel and did a complete backflip and land on your feet I mean there we are standing 5-5 at full time with Divock putting it in <laughs> great image a great image yeah um, uh, Karen it's fun this Koala League this Carabao Cup isn't it Where I mean did you manage to watch it in midweek it was such a crazy game everyone was sleeping and I was the only one watching it and um, as soon as like it was, we, we were one little ahead. I was very happy that these lads are doing well. I mean, one one, one two, one three. I was like, oh no, this is happening. This is really happening. I don't want to lose. But the mentality from these kids, oh my God. Um, it was a mixed balance of experienced players versus youngsters. And these lads just, you know, they gave their everything. and. What a, what a way to, um, you know, close the game with Divock stepping over the, with a bicycle kick and uh, Nico Williams with, with that uh, assist like Jermaine Pennant to Brady Crouch against uh, Bolton Wanderers in 08. And it was like, oh my God, this is happening again. Peter Crouch, that goal. So it was really amazing to watch that game. Um, Curtis Jones, he just changed the game completely as soon as he was brought on. Uh, you know, I had that feeling that we have time. We we're gonna get a result out of this. Might might even win the game. But I'm really happy that it was five five. And just like Shane pointed out, the penalty shootout statistic that Lalana was uh, involved in, I think that's really impressive. Um, I want to see more from these lads. Although I want to see Curtis Jones start the game, but I'm not sure who should sit. Uh, whether it should be Data or or Vicky or Booster, I'm not sure, but um, I want I want to see Curtis Jones start that game because um, he's so influential in, in that role and he's so talented. It's just amazing to see the, these kids. And when you saw when you see the lineup and when you see Nico Williams in the right back position, you you must be thinking that. Is, is this kid going to play well? But he was absolutely incredible, wasn't he? And I think, well, I'm so confident to see him uh, uh, play in the next game. Uh, if Hoover is back from the international duty, then if Klopp selects uh, Hoover against him, I think that would be, I would feel sad because I want to see more from Michael Williams and maybe Hoover should wait for his chance. But these young kids are so great. They are indeed. They are indeed so great. Uh, it was super, a super debut by, by Nico Williams. I thought, you know, he was up against Saka, who's a, you know, very, very good young Arsenal player. And he, uh, you know, he kept going, kept going, put in that assist at the end. Really nice performance. But maybe they could play together, you know, Nico Williams at right back and, and Hoover at centre back because the first team will be away at the World Club Championship. Who knows what's going to happen, but all shall be revealed. Uh, let's move on to the next match, which is Genk uh, on Tuesday uh, at Anfield. Um, in terms of starting lineup, Karen, you've already mentioned that you would, you know, quite like to see Cater and Ox in midfield. Uh, let's just, you know, think about this. So we're going to all go, presumably, with Alisson in goal. But then at centre-backs, what are we thinking? Are we thinking uh, Virgil van Dijk, um, Joe Gomez? 
uh, Trent and Robbo, or will we bring in Milner? Uh, maybe check, put Gomez at right back, or you know, just to give our fullbacks a rest for Man City. Oh, it's a lot to think about, isn't there, Shane? What would your lineup be for Genk? Yes, this is a very, very tricky selection. I really do think Klopp has his work cut out for him. Due to, due to our prior results in the group stage so far in the Champions League, we kind of really leave ourselves no choice but to go out and grab these three points at Anfield for the group. I mean, uh, against Gank, who, it's too per, uh, who is perceived to be the lowest in terms of... Uh, uh, strength in the group and we have to walk away with these three points so I don't think we can have a completely changed side you know maybe maybe sub off Trent and Andy I'm, I'm hesitant to say to not play them but also at the same time I want them well rested for Manchester City they're gonna have to do an awful lot of running for Manchester City so yeah I would have to I'd have to speculate that it's gonna be Allison uh, Joe Gomez um, Maybe uh, Dayon Lovren with Virgil van Dijk and then Milner over at left back. For midfield, I would definitely think we need a changed midfield with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Maybe still have Genie in there. Maybe still fit Fabinho in there or, or put in Henderson instead. And then for our forwards, I think we absolutely have to rest Mohamed Salah. I mean, just based on how he's been coming back from these, these, these little ankle niggles that he's had. I mean... It just goes to show you, back before the international break, when uh, I can't remember exactly the match, the guy, it's right on the tip of my tongue. It's uh, Was it Brighton? I can't remember. But whenever uh, he got that salacious, terrible tackle across his uh, his Achilles heel, that's just really, it's really taken its toll. And I still um, I believe that that offense should have been a red card and it should have been reviewed after the fact. And it, he should have been given a red card for that and suspended. Because it really has, I mean... It was just a nasty, crunching tackle, and Mohamed Salah is still kind of trying to shake it off. So I definitely think he needs to be rested. I don't want him to become a target for any of the gank defenders because he we really need him at 100% to go up against Manchester City. So, yeah, I definitely think uh, this is a moment where we, we get to see Klopp uh, make kind of a, the, the best calls that he will make so far this season and seeing what he comes out with in the lineup. Very good answer. Yes, absolutely. We have to rest Salah, don't we, Karen? Uh, would you agree with Shane uh, there? In you know, in terms of his lineup. Um, yeah, just a little bit. Although what I'm thinking is that we should go for Allison, Trent, Lovren, Van Dyke, Robertson, uh, Keita, Chamberlain, Fabinho, Salamani, and Firmino, and we should sub off Trent, Robertson, and Salah and bring on Gomez, Milner, and, you know, maybe Lalana, uh, or if Elliot is on the bench, whatever, Wh whoever's on the bench, just, uh, or Origi, uh, for that sense, just fill up that uh, right flank and rest Allah, because like Shane pointed out, he's playing through the pain barrier, and it's, it's just amazing to see that even though the Mets are not so sure about his fitness, but he's saying that he's fine and he can play, and he's not just quite found his feet yet, but uh, in a few games, I think he will be back to uh, where he was. So um, we should give him, we should give these three players a rest and uh, prepare them for the City game. Um, but if, if Klopp decides to even rest Mane, I wouldn't be uh, so disappointed because against City, if you really need to get a result with Salah not at his, at his best, we need Mane to be at his best. And Mane and Firmino need to be at their absolute best uh, if we have to beat City if Salah is not, you know, uh, is not uh, is not having a good game. So I think this should be uh, the lineup according to me because uh, if we win against uh, Cenk on Tuesday, we'll be with nine points and with some sort of a surety that we are going to clear the group at the first or second because it all depends on how Napoli versus Salzburg plays out. And the last time it turned out, it was a very close game for these two sides, and I'm expecting the same for them as well. So, despite the result, if we manage to win and be top of the table, I think we should uh, we should go a bit easy uh, on the last, uh, you know, against uh, Salzburg. Although, if Klopp decides not to, then it's okay, whatever it is. But I think we should really focus on City. Uh, after Jeng rather than the next Champions League games. So if, if I were the manager, that would be my lineup and I would rest these three players because uh, 
our fullbacks will be the key to set up a 2-3-5 attacking system. And uh, compared to theirs, 2-3-5 system where the wingers uh, sort of create the five uh, attacking players. So I would I would really hope to see Robertson and Trent getting rested after say about an hour after the game so that they can rest well and they are fresh for the, for the City game. I see where you're coming from and I can see Klopp doing exactly that but I would disagree because for me the table at the moment if if the listeners need reminders Napoli on seven points Liverpool on six Red Bull on three and Genk on one um effectively we need four more points because of the fixtures to be guaranteed a place in the next round and I think this Genk match is the one match where we can afford to lose I mean it's taking a bit of a risk but I would try to rest more players I'm not sure exactly who to rest but I I would never start Salah Um, I would probably rest Firmino as well because for me he's looked a little bit a tiny bit you know 0.5% more tired than usual because of all the football he's been playing and just to make sure he's okay again wrap wrap your best players in cotton wool Uh, so yeah Firmino Salah even Fabinho even Van Dyke, rest them. Uh, I would, I would do something like that because, uh, and uh, yeah, and Trent as well, just because I think we can afford to lose this one. But then after Genk, it's Manchester City next weekend before the international break. How are you feeling, Shane? Optimistic? I think City are going to absolutely be be nervous. I mean. Just looking at the start of this window, we were anticipating this window of games so heavily. I mean, with with Manchester United, Tottenham, Arsenal in the League Cup, this Aston Villa game, which turned out to be a, a, the, one of the trickiest matches in the whole run of it, uh, just uh, just in disguise, uh, gank, and then also Manchester City with rounding things off. We have come through this period with almost all wins and just one draw at Old Trafford. We are in a great, great, great position. I am absolutely ecstatic about the position we're in as we go into this this match and this fixture. I was actually kind of worried that we might have um, we might have dropped three points at any point in time, but uh, we haven't. We haven't except uh, we only dropped points at Old Trafford. So yeah, I am. Oh, I, I'm just ready for the game. It's my emotions are going to be all over the place. I'm going to be going up. I'm going to be going down. But this is, we are in the prime position to draw a line in the sand between us and City and extend our point tally to nine points and really, really, really make a statement for who's going to win the league this season. Nine points would be huge. Um, Is this where the title is going to be won and lost, Karen? I mean, you mentioned you're optimistic before that we can win home and away against City, and I always admire your optimism, Karen. But is this where it's going to be won or lost, the league? Yes, it it looks like a a two-way title race again this season with Leicester looking to apply some pressure. But yeah, if the season, as the new rules states, that if two two teams are at the same points at the end of the league, then they're head-to-head. Uh, record will, will decide who's going to win the league. So I think these two games are, are the most important because um, not only that we want to defeat City and extend the lead, but we also want to pile more pressure upon them. Um, so I think these two games will be one of the most important games we'll play this season, um, despite how uh, it will turn out in the Champions League and so on. So. Um, I'm already looking forward to these two games, and one of them is next weekend, so uh, we should be at our absolute best, don't we? Oh, wow. Yes, we should. I really hope the stars align and we can beat City. I mean, it's going to be such... It's... Oh, I'm already... I'm, I'm, I've got goosebumps thinking about it. But, you know, I want to thank you both very, very much. We've got... Karen in India, we've got Shane in the United States. Thank you both so much for 
for, for joining me today to talk about that marvellous, marvellous, very, very important three points away from from uh, you know away against Aston Villa uh, you know this is not fluky this is uh, you know about the 50th last minute win we've had this season already these relentless reds we keep on going we've got the resolve we've got the guts and we can do it can't we thank you so much Karen and, and thank you so much Shay. So there we are. Thank you so very much for listening. Let me just leave you with a quick reminder that Cop On is a podcast dedicated to you, the dear listener, and our doors are always open if you would like to discuss anything Liverpool-related in future episodes. If so, simply sling us a DM on Twitter at Cop On Podcast or chuck us an email to coponpodcast at gmail.com. For the generous-hearted amongst you, you may also support us via patreon.com forward slash podcast for as little as one US dollar per month, cheaper than chips, should you be thus inspired. Onwards and onwards uh, for Liverpool into the next week to crucial games, and I can't wait. Up the Reds.